Welcome to video game bullshit. This is Jeffrey Wittenhagen. I'm an author of multiple gaming books, including collector's guides for both the Nintendo and Super Nintendo. I'm a huge fan of action RPGs like The Legend of Zelda and obscure systems like the Neo Geo and TurboGrafx-16. And we've got guys. Hey, hey. I'm big into uh, No Death Runs, High Score Runs, uh, collector of all things vintage and retro. Uh, pretty much anything video game related. I also collect figures, vinyl, VHS, tap handles, old beer signs, and old beer steins. Please call our number, leave a voicemail or a text message at 262-264-VGBS. So, we're doing the roll-up of Arcade and Video Game Room Expo. This is crazy, because, like... That convention was insane because it was like we had an arcade all to ourselves. Like it's a first year convention by a dude who's been running a pinball convention for over thirty years and is the go to place in the country for pinball. And he decides to do an arcade one, and his marketing was a little lackluster because we didn't see it. <laughs> like nobody saw it, um, but it was awesome. Yeah, it's one of those things where. You get the whole park to yourself. Yeah. But then it's sad for the people with the booths and everything. Well, and I just really felt for Rob, who was running it, like, because I wanted the thing to be huge because he'd do it again. And, you know, that way he didn't lose any money. And it was a, he would be happy and have a good time. But either way, like, we had a freaking blast. And, like, we'll try to. Not fly down the river too crazy, but there's no guarantees in VGBS world. Like, we do what we want. That's right. The beer's flowing, <laughs> and the green is growing. That's what we do. <laughs> Not long. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. But, yeah, man, it's um, it was an interesting one because, like, you were working when I first got there to the convention, and the, the actual airport lost my baggage on the way to the convention. It was insane. So like I get I get there and they're like, oh it already went out. My bag. And I'm like, what? So that meant like not only my books, but also like all my clothes were gone. Toiletries and everything. <laughs> it was like insane. But then like the airport found it within like an hour and then they delivered it to the Crown Plaza in Chicago where I was at, where the convention was at. So it was like insane. Like they must have put it on the wrong carousel. It's funny though. Yeah, they found that pretty quick. Oh, yeah. I was figuring you must have given them, like, a mouthful of fire, and they're like, oh, shit, we gotta find this now. Like, <laughs> I actually <laughs> didn't lose my cool at all. I was just like, oh, God. It was like, well, everything that I bring to conventions, like, I made, and aside from, like, my proof copy of the 1991 Culture Chronicles, um, everything else, like, isn't a one-of-a-kind. Like, I've brought copies of my books, and the clothes were the clothes, like, but so it wasn't like it was like I was missing my Nintendo World Championships card or something, like. <laughs> so yeah, then I was uh, set up, hanging out, playing some games, talking with people. It was fun, and then the Kyle Meister shows up. <laughs> do 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 do. Oh yeah, and you were only there on Friday because you had obligations on Saturday. <laughs> but Friday got crazy, man. Oh, insane. Yeah. So. Explain explain uh, your take of the convention because like basically before you got there, 
I was chilling with some of the other vendors. I was playing with this pinball dude. We were playing the Hobbit pinball, and he was showing me, like, all the little trick shots for the Hobbit, and, like, he pulled it up and was showing me all the little, the crazy-ass electronics underneath that machine. It's freaking insane, like, how complex those are. It's like, I never want to own one of those. Because there's no way in hell. Problem worlds. Well, it was like we were playing, and he's like, oh, the C button isn't triggering. So he pulls it open, and I'm like, holy shit. And he runs, like, some computer test within the machine, and then it started working. And there's, like, movie scenes in the game. There's, like, a little TV screen. It plays, like, battle scenes from Lord of the Rings. Like <laughs> That's a pain in the ass. It was badass, though. But, like... As I said before on the cast, like, there's no way I'm buying a pinball machines or, or a pinball machine or machines unless somebody lives near me that can fix them. That's the only way. Yeah, I can see people buying one and then not wanting to play it because they don't want to break it. And then it, it's one of those things where you don't do anything. Yeah. You, <laughs> you yeah. Say, well, I guess I don't do anything with it. I just it's just a big paperweight. Yeah, but. Uh, they should work for a while. I mean, if you treat them good, it's just those old ones. And they had a lot of old ones there. I was, I was pretty impressed. The yeah. back row. I was in that one big room. First night, I just went to that one main room. Was that pretty much all that it was? Yeah, it was just a big, giant, like, arena that was the size, bigger than a high school gymnasium. It was big okay. and filled with games. And, yeah, like, the back of it, they had the pinball machines. And, and like, the, the pinball machines were interesting because... It was the first time that I played um, a full-size Super Mario Brothers uh, pinball. Oh, yeah. And, like, I've only played the mini one, and I didn't like the play feel on the mini one. The full-size one's fun as shit. Like, we were enjoying it. The mini one's considered to be, like, shit. It was. Like, we used to play it when I was in uh, Mishawaka back in the day, and it was just not fun. But the uh, the other one's, like, a more like a real feel of a pinball machine. Now, the other side, and this could be blasphemous for certain pinball fanatics, but I didn't really care for the Ghostbusters one. Like, it was just out of the packaging. Like, they just opened it up to play it there. But it was, like, so fast. The bumpers were bouncing so hard that we just kept dying immediately. And so it wasn't real fun to play. I mean, I guess with practice, any game can become fun, like we've proven on this cast. But, like, I just didn't enjoy playing it that first time, for sure. Pinball, like, a lot of them are tough. I w- a lot of the older ones I was playing are hard to tell, too. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just, like, one of those things that... And, and the crazy thing was, one of the pinballs was, like, pink or whatever. It's, like, a really rare one. There's only, like, 300 in existence or something. And it was an older one that was tough. But, yeah, like, there's a lot of games in pinball there that were, like, pretty rare. We were playing on those for a while. Um, in the middle of the room... They had all the, the arcade games. Yeah, which, what, Galloping Ghost donated or brought over a ton of them, and then some other collectors brought over theirs, too. Yeah, so they had, like, some really rare ones, like the Ice Cold Beers, rare. And, like, working, too. They had two Ice Cold Beers. <laughs> oh, cool. The, um, I think the Firefighter one or whatever it was called. Was it No Escape or Fire Escape or something like that? That one broke, like, and the, they were trying to fix it at some point. Well, heck, like, even on Saturday, high school beer kept breaking. The ball kept falling behind. Oh, no. Yeah. It's pretty funny. <laughs> the Tapper, uh, we played some Mario Brothers. Oh, that's <laughs> our bread and butter. Mario Twins. Berserk. And, oh, yeah, a lot of the classics. You know, lots of treats. Lots of classic treats. Yeah, there's one that I played on Saturday that we didn't even see, and it was, like, awesome. It's called Sky Cursor. Oh, yeah, game. Yeah, 2016 game. It actually was the two-level demo in the cabinet because I played two levels and then it, like, looped. Like, it, like, reset on me. I'm like, what the hell happened? And, I was, and then somebody told me, oh, no, that's just the demo, but at least I got to play it. Yeah, it's a real colorful schmuck. It's nice. Yeah, and there's, like, everything's, like, eyeballs fighting you. Blowing up eyeballs and they're all gory and shit. It's really cool. Really cool game. The horror element's cool. It's like like the Abadox. They should have more like horror sh- like shoot 'em ups. It's actually something that's not unused a lot. The one was awesome that you mentioned. That was the Mad Planets with all the freaking sounds. Mm. And that's like a rare game. And there was like three of them on the floor or something. It was like insane. I don't the this you know the amount of cabinets that there were there. There was three Mad Planets and it was just like so awesome to play that game. It's so frantic. 
And we played, uh, what's that, Zybots or something? Zybots, yes. Yeah, we played that for a while. That was like we were running through third-person mazes, and we didn't realize, but you have to, like, hit the the thing to be able to twist. You had to twist the controller oh, yeah. to turn. And it actually says it on the controller, but we didn't even look down <laughs> when we started playing. <laughs> so a bottle of sake will do to you. Oh, yeah. Huh. <laughs> so I guess we should figure out how we got to the bottle of sake. Let's see now. So the rest of the convention area, um, you had a couple of legends in the, the gaming business, which both of them we grabbed for panels. So we'll, we'll talk about them in detail with panels mm. for sure. One, especially the uh, the General Chaos um, booth, made it totally worth it for me because they had the figures. Yeah, the the six general, and I got a copy too of them. Uh, it's like six General Chaos figures from. They had a Kickstarter to do a second one. Yeah, and he said the figures just came out at the wrong time, and they just had a huge overstock. Nice. There was um, there was five like the main fighters. Uh, the five main dudes, and then actually like General Chaos too. So I have them sitting in my windowsill in my game room, and then both um the little card that came with the figures, and then there's like the promo from the '90s that he had sitting on the table. So I got both of those behind them, so they have like a little like diorama, because otherwise then you just see through the window. But now it's like a little General Chaos area. Yeah, it's it's just perfect because the the guys are so like '80s. They just have that 80s toy look. They're just, like, quirky and wacky. You know, not, not like, a serious yeah, tone to them. Yeah, I think General Chaos was 1994. And it's, mm-hmm. like, it all goes, like, those figures, too, like, go right with his art style. Because all the games that he did were in a certain art style, which is really cool. Like, you can tell they're all his game. Like, he did Rampage, too. They're, like, colorful and quirky. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Yeah, they just remind me of those 80s toy lines, like uh, Mad Balls and shit, kind of. Mad Balls. Like the um, super deformed stuff. Yeah, he he definitely has a good style to him. Even like the Garbage Pail Kids, it's like crazy quirky looking. Yeah, they have like a cool retro style to them, basically. Freaking awesome. But yeah, so, so the convention was really small, though. Um, there was like a couple vendors, like Reaction Games from Mishawaka were there, so they were, had their little game set up. Um, there was a dude across the way that had some consoles set up and a bunch of games, and that was about it. Like, there really wasn't a whole lot. There was some dude with, um, pinball and arcade member, like, new old stock of flyers and shit, and we both got some pinball, uh, little toys or tokens or something. They're, like, pieces that go on the pinball machines. On the front, there's, like, plastic that you pull off and then it's shiny, which I pulled that off. Yeah, they're still new. Yeah. And you got the flashing clown, which is awesome. That's hilarious. I, I don't even know where that's from. It's some creepy-ass clown that is, like, flashing. He has a leaf covering his genitals, and there's wieners in there instead of, like, watches in, like, the trench coat that he's flashing. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's wieners. You want some wieners, little kid? <laughs> they had the Bride of Pinbot one. Yeah, um, yeah, the, I got that. The machine is, is built to play. That one's amazing. Um, uh-huh. They're pretty scarce, dude. I was looking online. They're not like that common. They were only a few bucks, too. I got the Adams Family, Twilight Zone, and the Dracula one, some cool horror-themed ones. And uh, something else in there, that spaceship, I don't know where that was from. I got some pinball things. It, like, pinball's here to play or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, when I left, I almost was like I should have like took and taken another look just because there's just so much. and You just can't look enough sometimes. Because there was a whole bin, and... You just had to, like, sift through it. So, I mean, there could have been something super-duper-duper cool. There was, like, one of them in the middle or in the bottom or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, that was the thing, too, and they were, like, a little musty, so... Yeah, so I just kind of grabbed, like, six that I thought were cool and gave them ten bucks. Yeah, I'm looking for the uh, the guy who, um... I think it's something Anthony, maybe? Or... Because the guy who made it's, like, a legendary pinball creator. He did the clown one. (laughs) I'd love to know where that's from. Let me see. It's called Happy Clown, is it? Maybe? <laughs> By uh, Gottlieb? I think so. I'm just, I'm just like looking it up real quick just to see. Because cause basically the guy like made a bunch of crazy pinball machines, and he passed away recently. And uh, Python Angelo was his name. And anybody who's into pinball knows Pi- the legendary designer Python Angelo. So... Okay. Yeah, like, 
P-Y-T-H-O-N. Happy Clown, looking at it. I don't think that was it. image. It's close. Is it King Clown? I'll just put Clown Gottlieb, see what happens. Clown Pinball. Like, we gotta find it now. On live, on the podcast, we're finding the Python Angelo Pinball Machine. Yeah, I was looking for it, and I couldn't. I was like, man, that's, that's just, what the fuck, like, would that ever be with... That's what. Is it called the Pinball Circus, maybe? No, because that's a new one. Pinball Circus was never created. It's supposed to be like a six-story pinball or some shit. Flipper Clown Pinball Machine. <laughs> Doink, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I searched for uh, clown and hot dogs, and I got a lot of uh, <laughs> other things I didn't. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> like, oh, jeez. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, boy. Because the thing is, the guy who sold it knew what it was. But, yeah, the one that he was making is, like, crazy because it's, like, huge. The clown one that he was making. But that's not the one that we have the piece for. Because, basically, the guy had, like, tons and tons of the same pieces. But Mm. I doubt we'll be able to find it. We might as well look for it later. Yeah, the Python Angelo guy is crazy. Great. (laughs) <laughs> Amazing. Love it. But yeah. Oh, I found your clown. Wait, I saw a picture of it. I just saw Did a you? picture of it. Yes. Was he yes. just Cyclone. Cyclone? Cyclone. <laughs> by Gottlieb? Or is that what is it? Like you know? Yeah, it's a cyclone pinball by Gottlieb and there's clowns on it. Alright, here we go. Let's find the porn man. Oh yeah, it's definitely on there. I'm trying to see where that piece goes on the playfield though. But yeah, there's definitely like little clowns and stuff all over it. I just don't see where Creeper Clown goes. <laughs> Clowning around. William Cyclo Clown with Leaf. <laughs> Maybe he like comes out. Like... Yeah, because there's a, there's a guy with guns. There's another clown. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where they go, but there are pieces there. It has that look to it, though. Because if cause I'm on pinballrebel.com and it shows like the pieces there to it, I just don't see where on the playfield it goes. But it is the same clowns on the back back last. So, okay, mission solved. Naked, creepy wiener clown is cyclone. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. So, so yeah. So after the creepy wiener, we. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, ended up. Uh, disappearing a little bit and we went and started drinking at the bar for the panel classic nice and saucy oh yeah classic vgbs style i was drinking um i think i was drinking scotch i had a beer then another beer <laughs> and rum and coke and then the guy's second rum and coke was like massive i watched him pour it i was like oh oh yeah you you got sauced that one sent me in, in a nice direction so we went to the panel, nice and sauced, and um, we are at the panel with uh, Philo Barnhart and his publisher, Mr. Moissant himself. That's right. And maniacal, maniacal man, self-proclaimed <laughs> king of horror himself. <laughs> and uh, But basically, Philo Barnhart not only did character art for Disney movies, including... Little Mermaid and the Black Cauldron, Rescuers Down Under, and uh, Beauty and the Beast, and the, before that, The Secret of Nim. Yeah, which is my favorite. Fucking amazing cartoon, probably currently because it's more dark and it's more it has like an adult theme, so you can still watch it. And and that was the ongoing theme with all of his artwork was he did like Ursula in the Little Mermaid, like he did a lot of the darker aspects for all of those movies and all those movies have a dark side and that's the the philo barnhart way i guess i mean and so like after that though he worked with don bluth on freaking dragon's lair space station dragon's lair 2 yeah so like a legend in the video game world yeah and i was pretty much geeking out because that's like our childhood right there and his father too the whole family like like drew our childhood his dad worked from Cinderella the Jungle Book on every Disney feature film. Yeah. Like, what? He created Maleficent. Like, what? And we're just talking to this guy. He's so fucking cool. Yeah, and the, the insane thing was is our panel was supposed to be our um, retro gaming roadshow where we ask 
people like questions and we do a big old social gathering about 90s style nostalgia however mr charles himself like took over the mic went crazy and it was like (laughs) one of the craziest and most fun panels that we've done it was like off wall this is completely down the river and it was perfect like we couldn't have planned it better yeah, the way I see it, if we already have future ones like that we're going to do, so anything that's something we didn't expect is like a special thing. And plus, with him on our panel, I mean, it's like, I was just honored to like be there, you know? Exactly, and it's like, as we get special guests, like, if it goes crazy, where we're... I mean, we basically went over his career, which was fun as shit, and then, mm-hmm. like, I got to go over my projects, we got to go over the podcast, like... It was, like, superstar-level freaking panel. It was crazy. It was awesome. Yeah, then we got to go... Then we went out to eat sushi. And after, we went out and ate sushi and drank sake with them. And it was insanely fun. Yeah, with the freaking Secret of Nim guy. Like, are you serious? <laughs> like, what? It's fucking crazy. I never would have expected that either, like, going in. It's, like, crazy, like, bucket list stuff that you never think you would achieve. Like, me just getting published was one. I got in Guinness book because of this shit. And now it's like, we get to meet these industry professionals. Like, and not only was he an industry professional, but he went into our, deep into our childhood with cartoons. Like, hits another whole world. Yeah, I mean, these guys are getting older too, so it's like, they're not going to be around forever, man. And us getting them on podcast or the, you know, the panel, which will be a podcast episode for sure. But yeah, it was super cool, man. And honestly, like, I'm honored that they want to do the panel with us. It's awesome. Yeah, this one was in the panel was in like a college type lecture hall. Mm-hmm. And they were probably like 20, 30, maybe 40 at most. Probably like 30, I'd say. 30 sounds about right. Yeah. People in there. We had it full though. We definitely had it full. It was small. Yeah, that was the thing. It was pretty small. Yeah, but I mean, the whole convention itself was small. Everything was small. It was legitimately, especially Friday, was legitimately small. It was a little bit bigger on Saturday. Yeah, because that was smaller than the one that we went to, the the Summit one, Video Game Summit or whatever. That was at least like three rooms of stuff. But But the Video Game Summit had no arcades or anything, so... Yes, yes, just vendors. It was just a small gathering is what the Video Game Summit is. This was... This was a legitimate convention that was fun as shit to do. The Summit had more, like, super graphics and, like, Neo Geo. You could, like, AES. Yeah. They had, they had a room of, like, consoles. Yeah, they did a console thing, which this one was yeah. very lacking in console. And, yeah. I mean, in Rob's defense, he only knows pinball, so he kind of went with who he knew, and he knew guys in the arcade community. He didn't really know console people, and he didn't get a hold of me until like two weeks before the convention. So I couldn't really pull anything together, even if I, you know, because I knew some people, know some people in the area, but I couldn't pull stuff together in two weeks. Like, Yeah, it's it, it's just kind of sad that you know games are hitting, but like, where is everybody? Yeah, it's like, what the fuck? Well, from what I heard, like, they went with a marketing company and they kind of dropped the ball. And then the last couple of weeks, they had to start making cold calls to people to get vendors to get, you know what I mean? So if they're calling just to get vendors, like, that means there's people that don't know that it's going on either. And I know from a fact with like Kickstarters and stuff, no matter how much I promote, there's still people out there who are avid gamers that have no clue that I, that I did anything. And you know, when millions of people see your stuff and there's still people out there, there's, he could have done a million times more, but I think he went at it as the, this is my first year. We'll see how it goes mentality, which didn't seem to work out too well for Friday at all
I'm like comparing it in my head to like uh, MGC. Yeah. Just like the way the way it looks. Uh huh. In my head, and like the centralized location too, because it was kind of like not in a centralized. It should have been like the Chicago Loop at like the convention center in like downtown. Well, like the irony was is when you came, you went to a convention center, and they're like, "Oh no, it's in the hotel." You're like, "You're like what?" They're like, we don't even know what you're talking about. So that's when I, that's when I called you and I'm like, because you were at the convention center, assuming that the convention would be at the convention center. Like, hilarious. I was telling Judy, she's like, it's a good thing you brought your phone. Yeah, you, you're Mister Off the Wall usually. Because I would have been like, um, I guess I'll just walk this way. <laughs> but yeah, it was actually down the street. Yeah. So it's there's it, that must be a hub of like conventiony stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think their area was fine. But I just think that, you know, it, it takes time to get known. Like, MGC's been around for years now, so it's built up a rep. Um, I assume that the first year they did MGC, they had, like, a smaller gathering because that's every first-year convention. So, I mean, it's not necessarily their fault for, you know, not having a ton. It's just there's one thing, too, that I've mentioned before and I've been talking with people about is that the convention bubble is very, very full right now. Like, there's tons of conventions all over the place. So, people that only go to a couple conventions a year or only go to local ones, like, they're not able to travel to this new, to new ones. They're going to go to the big ones like Midwest Gaming, Too Many Games, Portland Retro. They're going to go to those ones if they're going to travel. They're not going to go to a new, unproven one. And it makes sense to me because it's, it's tough. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's not easy to go to conventions all the time and i mean i sell books just to break even on my travel yeah i mean mgc the whole hotel was like rented out yeah it was the big difference yeah because like so so this one was in like a room and they had a hallway with some stuff in it whereas mgc every hallway was full all of oh. all the side rooms were full they had a tent that went outside that had a giant vendor area that extended beyond the actual thing and here's here's the thing too, like so when we went to MGC, we gotta like do our over analysis now. Oh yeah. <laughs> when we went to MGC, I didn't actually see a lot of people like you know how they had the little arcade game set up like on the side. Yeah. The little min now, a lot of people weren't playing those. Most of the time they were empty. It's like people don't come to those to like specifically play games, it seems. It's almost like they come for the buying stuff or um, for the panels, what I've what I've noticed is to meet like special people. Certain conventions have certain people that go to them. So like, too many games in NGC are exactly that. People go there to buy, and then after they get done going through the dealer rooms because the dealer rooms are big, then they go do the panels. They go watch the panels. They might play some arcade games. The arcade games were hit heavy at night though at MGC. That's where it's awesome because of the darkness. Yeah. And the, the lights are really, like, bright and stuff. Exactly. So, I mean, that's what kind of a lot of people did. But, like, during the day, they're out looking at the the cellar tent in MGC or, you know, the giant cellar room at Too Many Games. Well, I think the thing with arcades, too, is the problem with arcade games, they're not easy. No. Like, you're not going to be on it a long time because it's meant to, like, jostle you off. An arcade game is like a bull. It's like riding a bull. Like, it's meant to, like, throw you off the bull. Yeah. Like, eventually, it's meant to throw you off. And that's why the people are really special who can play those games, like, for hours on end because they're, like, faster Twitch or whatever they have. is Their DNA, like, works toward that advantage where most people are just going to play few levels and then okay that's it you know sure so that's that's the problem with arcades versus console then you have mario 3 yeah let's play that for like two hours you know and i, and I think that's the difference too is that like you were saying like they have the arcade area but then you have like the the panels but like mgc we had is like knowledge-based panels like what we do but like too many games had like your Game Chasers and Angry Video Game Nerd and Nostalgia Critic. And you had those names that would bring in all that whole crowd of people that MGC isn't even trying to target. Like, they have their own target. So that's where how those two even differ, you know, is like one and one. And then you have, like, Replay FX that I went to 
where there was like a thousand pinball machines that the um, area for console gaming was like three or four hundred TVs and consoles set up. It was insane. And there's still like a lot of people not playing them. And the cellar areas was really sparse, but people went there for the um, pinball tournament and then the Donkey Kong tournament that was going on. Like, they didn't go there to just play random games. They went there to wa- to compete. Yeah, or to watch the Masters. Oh, yeah, the DK Masters, which was awesome. So, so yeah, I think the panel at Replay was, was smaller, too. Like, probably, like, 30 people, too. So, definitely some smaller ones. But that one was different than Midwest Gaming. I think Midwest Gaming was really fun, I think. And the, the thing is, though, is that anytime we both go to somewhere, we're going to have fun. That's just it. There's a certain thing about all of them that I liked, because at the latest one that we went to, it was just intimate. Yeah. Because the smallness lends itself to just talking to everybody, and it's all like in a smaller space, so it's easier to get around. And then we also had the whole Philo Barnhart nostalgia fucking experience, too. Like, that was amazing. And the the intimacy thing, too, is interesting because, like, I was talking with one of my coworkers, actually, I think it was today, and we were talking about, like, how, yeah, I, I would like, he was saying how he would like to go to an arcade, but he didn't think he would go all the time. And I'm like, well, that's exactly what conventions are for. They're for those of us that wish we could go to the arcade, but we know that arcades aren't going to be packed all the time. So these conventions allow us to get together with a bunch of other like-minded people to have that arcade experience one weekend. And that's what it is. Like, especially the ones with the giant arcades and stuff. So, like, at nighttime, we're, it's basically like a classic arcade from the 80s and 90s in those places. It's dark in there. There's tons of people. There's people lining up around the popular machines. It's just like the classic arcades. That's what the conventions are, and that's why I'm, like, addicted to going to conventions. It's fun. I think of, like, let's say, like, MGC is kind of like a big Doom level yeah. It's like, you'll see, like, someone once every hour or something, be like, oh, hey, but that'll be it. But in, in this place, you could just go, and everyone was there at the same time. Yeah. So there was just a difference in the way that, like, the communication and ended up being just, like, hanging out more, everybody yeah. hanging out, um, which is cool. I think they had the good, like, lighting in there, too. I, I think that this one has a potential to get bigger but rumor has it that he's going to combine it with the pinball expo next year but i don't think that's going to work too well because the pinball expo is actually a um industry convention like the industry convention would be like e3 for for video games or pax east where the industry comes there to show off their new games and stuff so if he rolls arcade into that pinball expo Basically, it'll be in a corner somewhere. So it'll essentially be the same thing. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I did find stuff that I never saw before, and I probably never will see again, though, so... I have three nice stories from Saturday. Really good stories, and I don't think I told them to you purposely. You know one of them, right. but... I wanted to wait. Now it's time to chug some beers and hear the story. Let's do this beers. So, <laughs> so when I got there on Saturday... um. Woke up nice and hungover, obviously, from Philo and Charles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a headache, and I'm like, geez, how much did we drink? And then I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we were filled to the brim. My fucking back teeth were floating. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, yeah. <laughs> Doing the classic Rick and Morty story. <laughs> but um, so, so I get there, and if you go to any convention, a bigger one, like Too Many Games... Um, it was gaming. People are waiting out the door to get in. Not so much at this one. It was a ghost town when I got there on Saturday. I'm like, oh, no. Um, there ended up being probably about 100 people to 200 people there that day, though. So it was decent. Not bad at all. Um, obviously, if I was running the convention, I would you know, want more people. But, yeah, so there's a couple hundred people. Um, during that convention, they are during the Saturday and I don't think that happened when you were there on Friday, but basically Walter day was next to me and he asked me to push my table up to there so that way we had three tables instead of two. I don't think that happened when you were there, Kyle. 
No. So basically, I was with Walter Day and Billy Mitchell, and we put up a giant banner that was right next to where I was that they were taking pictures in front of, with like Walter and Billy's picture on. It was hilarious. It was like this 3D yellow-looking banner thing. So I was with them, and they're like, well, you don't mind, do you? And I'm like, absolutely not. They brought There was people lined up the whole day at my table, basically. Yeah, because they were probably the main attraction. Oh, yeah. like like, And they would look through my book, which is cool. Like, that's fine. As long as they're checking it out, that's great. So, but since it was, there wasn't a whole lot of people there right in the morning, so I had an idea. Crazy idea. So, I look around and I see an arcade game. And I was talking with the owner of them, and they said, oh, this is the only one that's known to exist on Clove and all this stuff. Game was called Enigma Two. I don't know if you've heard of Enigma Two, Kyle. No. And that's the classic story. Like, what the hell is Enigma Two? <laughs> so basically, I look it up on the Twin Galaxies World Record score. There's no world record for the game. So one of my bucket list items comes right to mind. So I go over to Walter. Yeah, easy pickings here. <laughs> I go, hey Walter, there's this game over here that has never had a world record. Do you mind watching me play and validating? And as I'm saying that, this guy, Jeffrey, I think it's Oler, comes by, and he actually recorded our panel the night before. Oh, yeah. And he's not working for the convention. He's doing that for a documentary, by the way. Mm. And he did the Kong Off documentary as well. Okay. So... He goes, dude, I'll videotape that shit. (laughs) So, Walter Day introduced the whole thing, and then I went and set the very first ever world record for Enigma 2 on a 1979 arcade game this year, live. What's the deal? Like, what's, why is it so fucking, like, obscure? I don't know. I don't know if they just didn't um, distribute it. I think that they just didn't. And there was like one copy that they had at like a local bar or something. That's where these guys found it. Um, I know that there was a couple because um, there's there's one other confirmed board of the game, but no cabinets. They have the only cabinet, full full arcade cabinet. But um, when I was talking, because Richie Knuckles did some stories too on on the video too, and he was saying that he has that same exact cabinet, just has something over the Enigma 2 art, like a block, and there's like Pot of Golds in it, which is the sequel to a game called Leprechaun. It's like a pretty rare game, Pot of Gold, but it's in that cabinet. Oh. There's no Enigma. He doesn't have Enigma 2, but he has may have the cabinet, which means that would be, it's like the rarest, one of the rarest cabinets. Um, the game itself plays like a little bit like Space Invaders, but more so like your Astro Fighter and Phoenix. And like, so there's four different screens. You have like your typical Space Invaders one where they're shooting at you and you shoot at them, but there's no blocks. And you can thrust. You can thrust up into the air. That's cool. The second level is your Phoenix where you shoot them and then they split off into a smaller bird and you shoot the bird. Um, they come down at you. The third level is like these little alien ships that have shields when they drop the shield they come down at you one at a time like they they fly right at you and you got to thrust out of their way and then the fourth level there's stars going horizontally across the screen there's this giant ship at the top and you have to shoot a tiny spot on the middle like four times and it explodes and then a fueler comes across and you have to hit the fueler otherwise your fuel will run out in the next round um, and I basically just rolled it over, like, I don't even think I rolled it over once to get the world record, but I can, I double or tripled it later. Yeah, that, that sounds like Phoenix, but the, isn't there a yeah. big ship at the end, or like, it sounds like Gorf, too, how the Gorf, the Gorf has it at the end, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's an awesome little treat, then. And the thing was, it was, it was responsive, it was fast, it was difficult as shit, and Richie was saying, too, this game's fucking awesome. Like, this is one of the best games he's played in this kind of genre. And he loves those type of games. So, like, he oh. wants to get a copy. Like, the game was awesome. And basically, my bucket list is I wanted to set a do a, a classic Billy Mitchell story. And Billy Mitchell told the story for the video. It's basically, he said that back in the old Twin Galaxy days, they used to go to a tumble and hit up an arcade and then just play, like, Pango and be like, I'm the world record holder for Pango. Because he's <laughs> the only one who fucking sent it. <laughs> 
right. set the fucking record. I did that. That was a bucket list of mine because I heard that story. He might have told that on the Chasing Ghost documentary, one of those documentaries. And ever since then, I'm like, I want to set one on a classic machine. And it happened to be a classic machine from before we were born, which is awesome. Yeah, old school. But like, how often does that happen? Never. And they're all there to, to do it. That, I'm sure that'll get on the documentary. I mean, that's like treats because you got everyone there telling their stories. It's perfect. Well, and, and the thing is, is I'm not even going to submit it to Twin Galaxies. I did it. It's on video. I'm good. That's bucket list. Yeah, I mean, that, that's how I am. I have all my scores on video. and I don't even like care to do. And, and the thing is, is that there was guys there. I beat my record that I recorded. And then there was guys there that got like, 20,000, almost like 19,900 later. Because I told them, they're like competitive guys there that like have a lot of world records. And I told them, I was like, hey, uh, I just set a world record, like kind of go to Mendele. And he was playing it all day. <laughs> and he got like 19,000 or something. And what's funny is I was messing with him later. And I'm like, hey, just so you know, at midnight afterward, I was playing the arcade and I got 38,000. <laughs> Did I? I probably got 380. I was drunk. So <laughs> I don't know. I was just messing with him because that arcade goes away. He can't play it again. And he didn't record his 19,900. So I have the only recorded one anyways. But it won't last. But it's just funny. Like, I just wanted it, and then I think they're going to, Walter or Jeff is going to submit that to Guinness, as uh, this record was broken for the Guinness Book of World Records Gaming Edition. So, that's hilarious, though. Like, me just coming up with, like, one idea, and it spitballed out of control at the freaking convention, just because we were, like, we didn't have a ton of people bombarding us, so we had time. <laughs> was that the only game that was really, like, one-of-a-kind type thing there? Or? It was the only one we knew that didn't have a world record. Like super rare. Um, that fire escape was pretty rare. Um, there was this one Russian game that took ruples. It was a big giant metal one, and it had like this contraption with a bunch of different flippers, and it wasn't working on Friday. And then I got it to work on Saturday, and you're like going down this Vectrix style, like vector based corridors, and you're like you can pivot the whole freaking ship and stuff. It was badass. So it's just like in and out spotty. Sometimes it wants to work, sometimes it doesn't. Well, I think that they didn't put it on free play the first day. That's the other thing I want to mention. The free play aspect is another reason why you go to these conventions. Yeah. Because like this bar just opened down Street Twin Cade. Uh-huh. But, it, but it's like, you got to pay for like five, six dollar beers and you got to pay for the... Yeah. It's just, I don't know. So So on Saturday I went to a panel... It was how to run and operate an arcade, and they talked about that. They talked about doing a free play versus quarter model for um, for a business. Because Galloping Ghost, you pay $15 and you play all day. That's the way to do it. Whereas some other places, like your place that you're talking about, they put it on quarter play, and then they try to make money off the quarters. But... The, the key is, is that if they have booze, they don't need to charge the quarters. That's the thing. And you're going to not be good after the third beer. You're going to be shit anyway. Because those are there for a novelty anyways. Most people aren't going to be a Billy Mitchell and come in and play for hours on one quarter. Most people are going to go in there and go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, let's play some Galaga. And they play, and they get their ass destroyed, and then they don't play. They get knocked off the bowl, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, knocked off the fucking bowl. They're yeah. done. There's no reason to have quarter play, even like a Ninja Turtles or something like, you'll beat that whole game in 15 minutes. Who cares? It's a cup. That's a beer. And then they're going to buy another beer afterward because they're going to celebrate. Like, you win. I think it has to be like the ratio of games to people because people are just going to sit there if it's on free play too. There's that problem. Like the guy that never gets off the machine because you can just keep like put in like a million credits, you know. So you almost have to have like Galvin Ghost like, hundreds of machines to the point where it's like it doesn't even matter if someone sits there for an hour because yeah there's a million other ones you can play you know how many machines did the one that's by you have i haven't been there but i saw a picture in the um paper and it looked like scarce you know like probably not over 15 or 20 if that and then those are those are just there for artwork at that point then because he's not going to make money off the quarters I'm going to have to go, go there and just check it out like one time. But I, it's kind sure. of like the Video Game Emporium in Chicago. That place probably had 30, 40, but I don't know, man. It's, it's just like a money pit. 
because you're already buying beer and it just becomes too much. Well, when I have a 601 in my house, like... That's the problem, too. Like I'm good. It should be on free play because you're probably going to get your ass kicked anyway. Yeah. Unless you have this great run. That's like Steve Weeby said. He's like, most of my Donkey Kong games aren't that good. It's when I hit Mm-mm. that, like, zone, then all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, I've been playing this for like half an hour straight. Yeah. It's just kind of like, you don't know when you're going to hit that, so it's better to have one in your basement or whatever, like he did. Well, and the, the one thing at that panel, because the panel had, Gal- had Doc Mac from Galloping, it had a guy from that does a, a barcade-style thing where he charges quarters, and then there was a one other, it was Richie. Richie doesn't do, um, Richie does free play as well. Um, but Richie does everything original. And the best possible quality. So he has a few machines, but everything is pristine like a back-in-the-day arcade. And so, like, even to the monitors, he only uses the original monitors that were in it. He doesn't use a similar monitor. Like, he does everything standard. Um, but the one guy who charged, he said um, that, like, Metallica Pinball, for some reason, makes a fuck ton of money. Like, certain stuff like that, those are the ones that he has in his arcade because they bring in quarters because people play them but like some of the classic ones he said they don't make shit so like it's not even almost not even worth it yeah there's that thing with metallica because on on uh, amazon.com right now mm-hmm. it, that new album's not even released and it's the top sell like metal seller <laughs> of just pre-orders that's crazy over all the other cds that are in metal completely like geez Metallica's a beast, man. I, I don't really see what's so special anymore. It's weird. Well, it's it's because people want the classic Metallica, so they're going to freaking support it, and hopefully it's great, and then they're all going to go online and bitch if it's not what they wanted. I mean, that's what people do now. Yeah, I think the closest that we got was the Death Magnetic one. Well, this one's close to Death Magnetic. I heard a couple of songs from it. I mean... They, it sounds like they're cursing for the sake of cursing, like they're old men just saying "fuck," like because they don't need to. But and, and there's, of course, they, they're not letting Kirk freaking go balls off either. Less well, thing, or he doesn't want to. Yeah, but I mean, who knows? But either way, though, like the, the actual song itself feels like a Metallica song. It's just missing a few pieces. It's missing some of the emotion that they had back in the day. The anger, because they're not angry; they're rich. And, like, the lyrics were, like, super dark and super intricate back in the day. They didn't even need the cuss because they had so much else to talk about. Yeah, exactly. They just had some cool, um, better story writing, basically. Like, sanitarium. Yeah. It's, like, a whole story. Or, like, disposable heroes, like, the soldier in the front lines, like... Yeah. Frayed ends of sanity. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> or like one one's another story you know the guy that gets mm-hmm. wasted by the the mine yeah now it's it's turned it's like easy mix metallica easy mix well i mean it goes back to episode one of bgbs like they jumped the shark freaking at black black and, absolutely yeah and then i mean even black was way different than justice and like it was you know after you started to lose certain members and then yeah. Like, Enter Sandman was on the radio so much that it yeah. burned out a lot of us on that whole album. Didn't age very well, either. No, I mean, it's it's cool for a classic thing, but for, like, classic Metallica, I'm going to listen to the earlier albums. And, like, all everyone was into it, like, parents mm-hmm. and oh, teachers. Yeah. And, so that's also where it, like, got crazy. It moved them down from metal to hard rock. I mean, immediately, that album. And it basically solidified them. And then they went to load and reload. Rock legends, pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it definitely solidified them, too. It put them on the map. They traversed just the niche metal fans to all fans. And, I mean, good for them, but not our cup of tea. Like, it wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah, if you watch some kind of monster, it's, like, pathetic. Mm-hmm. Like where they mm-hmm. where they've gotten like with the psychiatrist and it's, it's just ridiculous. You're kidding me, like fucking hilarious. But anyway, yeah, so anyways, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I know we get off track at one time. Hell yeah, we got off track. Way off track. Amazing. <laughs> Metallica. Metallica. Where Somehow, the <laughs> fuck did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Love BGBS. Bullshit masters. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to VGBS. We appreciate everybody taking the time to get through this whole uh, arduous podcast. We love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to correspond with us, you can email us at vgbspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a phone number. It is 262264VGBS. You can leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text message. Um, whatever you want to do, correspond. Also, comment on us. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. We love hearing what people um, think about the podcast. All right. See you later. Woo. Later.